Let's spend some time in prayer together. Lord, I'm so grateful that we have so many young people that love you. It's so great to see the next generation serving you with their giftedness. Lord, I pray that you keep their way pure. I pray that you help them with all the temptations that are around them to stay solid in their faith. Lord, I pray that you would help them to be the generation that changes our county, changes our state, changes our country. Lord, I pray as we open your word this morning that you would speak directly to us, that I would get out of the way. Lord, I have plenty of flaws. I have plenty of things that I uh, need forgiveness for, Lord. So I pray that you give me your grace and your mercy so that you would be glorified. Lord, as we open your word, help it to not return void, that your spirit would be here in amongst us, that we would feel your presence and your joy and your peace. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So when you're growing up, or maybe as you've gotten older, you learn that there's two things you're not supposed to talk about at the dinner table. What are those things? You know? Politics and religion. Guess what we're talking about this morning? <laughs> you see, there, there are some things that you can do on social media that, or maybe just in your interactions with people that just cause an automatic blow up in things. One, just mention anything political, right? Just say any political name post something that's conservative, liberal, whatever, post it up there, and you're going to get all kinds of feedback, right? The other thing that you can do in your conversations or in social media posts is that you drop the J-Bo. You drop the name Jesus, and there's going to be all kinds of things that come up. See, people are okay with positive thoughts and positive vibes and, and karma and crystals and even God. Even God people are okay with, but when you say the name Jesus, oh, that does something here. So we've been going through the study of the book of Mark, and now we get to the point here where we see that Christians have dual citizenship, that we have citizenship here in the United States as citizens here in St. John's County, that we are, we're, we're Americans if you live here in the United States. If you're a citizen here, you're a citizen of the United States. But we're also citizens of the kingdom of God. And so how does that dual citizenship work? And so that's what we're going to look at uh, this morning. We're going to jump right into Mark chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, we could turn there. If not, uh, you could look up on the screen. He had just uh, cleared the temple, and they were questioning his authority, and now he shares this parable. Then he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a watchtower. And then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. At harvest time, he sent a servant to his tenants to collect from some of them uh, from some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some they beat, and others they killed. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, they will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, this is his heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then did the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read the scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this and is marvelous in our eyes. 
Then they looked for a way to arrest him because they knew that he had spoken a parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. Later they sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you're a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he said. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, whose portrait is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. Christians have dual citizenship and citizenship is a really big deal. My wife and I had some time as missionaries in Sweden and the guy that lived there that was in charge, his name was Gary Johnson and he I had a great vision for the country of Sweden. See, now the country of Sweden is 0.1% Christian. 50 years ago, it was 50% Christian. One generation forgot to share their faith, didn't make it a priority to share their faith. And that's why it's so important for us to see the next generation uh, worshiping God, serving God, because we want to have that priority of the next generation. So he had a great vision. He was, if he was going to reach all the people of, of Sweden, he had to do something radical and and so what he decided to do was that he was going to have a bunch of kids. So he had 10 kids. And he said that what he was going to do is tell all of his kids to have 10 kids and all their kids to have 10 kids. And in 10 generations, all of Sweden would be Christian again. That was his long-term vision. But it was really important uh, for him to have dual citizenship. You see, he was an American, uh, but he lived in Sweden full-time, was, was married to a Swedish woman, and so he also had Swedish citizenship. So he had dual citizenship so he could minister to people in Sweden, but also come back to the United States and, and work here if need be. For us as Christians, we all have dual citizenship. We have citizenship to our country, and we have citizenship to God's kingdom. Now, when the church gets a choice between political power and gospel power or spiritual power, what does the church always choose? The church always chooses political power. We always tend to go that direction because we think that's how things are going to be changed. Now, as you see uh, in this message, as we'll go through the scripture here, it's important that we have a role in government. It's important that we understand what's going on in our country. It's important that, that we're, we're not dormant when it comes to politics. But it's also important to realize that we have the power of the gospel and that's what we should choose. That's what, where we should get our strength from is the power of the gospel. So what I want you to do right now in your card, and I promise I'm not going like, to call any of you up here or read this next week or anything like that. I just want to know your opinion. I want you to write down two things. First thing, if the government could only do one thing, what would be the one thing you would want the government to do? So you can just write government and dash and then one thing that you want the government to do. If you can only choose one thing. Then the other thing I want you to write down is if the church could only do one thing, what would you want the church to do? You can only choose one thing. What would you want the church to do? And we're going to go through this in this message. Don't change your answers. I want to know uh, what your opinion is. I want to know what your thoughts are. So make sure you write that on your card, and you can put it in the black box in the back as we leave. You see, the civil government was established by God, and it was really established in, in Genesis 9. If you remember, the world was evil. The world was 
away from God, far away from God. All the thoughts and actions that people had were all evil all the time. And so God flooded the earth. And after he flooded the earth, Noah and his family, they went back to their old ways, that their sinful nature showed itself. And because that sinful nature showed itself, God put in the government to restrain evil. He put in a civil government. He put in the power to restrain human nature. And then he gave the church a power too. And that church is to remedy human nature. And the power that he gives the church is the power of the gospel when he gives the power of the government the sword. You see, the civil government is important to restrain, uh, to restrain human nature, restrain our evil. There was once a show on NBC many years ago called Revolution. And in the show Revolution, there was no electricity at all around the whole world. There was no power anywhere. And because of that, governments fell. And because governments fell, there was complete anarchy everywhere. See, it's important that we have a civil government in place to restrain uh, evil in, in our hearts by the power of the sword because man's sin is very obvious, isn't it? I mean, it seems to be very obvious in our world that all you have to do is turn on the news for a few minutes. But for a lot of people, we don't believe that there actually is a consequence to sin. And we don't believe that men are scarred by sin. Take this quote from H.G. Wells. It says, can we doubt that presently our race will be more, more than realize our boldest imaginations? That it will achieve unity and peace. And that our children will live in a world made more splendid and lovely than any palace or garden that we know. Going on from strength to strength and ever-widening circle of achievement. What has man done? The little triumphs of this present state form but the prelude to the things that man has yet to do. Are we drawing closer and closer to peace? Are we drawing closer and closer to unity? It doesn't seem that way to me. See, sin affects everything that we do. See, I don't see what H.G. Wells is talking about, but what I do see is what the Bible talks about. The Bible talks about that in creation we were made perfect, that there was peace, that there was harmony, that there was unity, that there was no sin, that there was no death. But shortly after that creation, it didn't take us very long, did it? We went against what God said. And because we went against what God said, sin entered the world, death entered the world, illness entered the world, suffering entered the world, uh, strife entered the world, all evil entered the world. And because of that, we were stuck in our sin. But, but Jesus didn't leave us stuck in our sin. He came as a seeking and saving Savior. He saw us in our sin and didn't want to leave us that way. And so he came on this earth, lived a perfect life, a life we could never imagine living, dying on the cross for all the ways that we've sinned, all the ways that we've fallen short. Then he rose from the dead, conquered death so that we could have eternal life. And then someday he's going to come again and he's going to establish a new heavens and a new earth and he's going to redeem all things. You see, the story of the Bible is what I see in our world. I'm so grateful that we have a civil government whose purpose is to restrain human nature and God has given them the power of the sword. And we see that in, in um, Romans chapter 13. Listen to what these words say. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities for there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. 
Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For the rulers hold no terror for those who do do right, but those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what's right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to uh, to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant and an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it's necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone to what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Now, I can already hear some of you right now, but a lot of our governing officials are not godly, Pastor Andy. Well, listen, we believe in God's sovereignty, and we believe that God is ultimately in charge, and we believe that he has put governing authorities over us. Now, if those governing authorities tell us to do things that are contrary to the Bible, then of course we're supposed to take a stand and not do those things. But when the governing authorities are over us, to restrain evil, then we're to listen and obey the laws that are put in place. But the church has given human nature uh, the, the remedy, and the remedy is the gospel, and that's where we find the true power. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. A lot of times people will ask me about some controversial things that are happening in our world. And they'll, for an example, they'll ask me, don't, don't you want the government to define uh, marriage as one man and one woman? Don't you want that? Well, yeah, I, I wouldn't be mad if that was the case. But I believe that the true power is in the gospel. I believe the gospel is the one that changes us, that allows young men and young women to say, yes, it's, it's a God-honoring thing to get married, and so I want to get married to honor God. And I believe that the gospel and not laws is going to help married couples who are going through difficult situations, who are going through trouble in their marriage, to stay married for God's glory. And I've seen that over and over and over again in this church. And I believe it's, it's not a law that's going to change the hearts of people that have same-sex attractions to fall more in love with Jesus to make same-sex marriage unthinkable. You see, I believe laws are, are good, but I believe that the gospel is better and that the gospel can change things. The gospel can make things unthinkable, where laws can only make things illegal. And so we're going to look here at this uh, parable to start off with that goes into Jesus talking about uh, what the role of government is supposed to be in our life. And Jesus uses parables to be able to reach people uh, with stories that are very personal. And he knew exactly who he was talking to here. I'll read a couple verses and I'll explain to you what I mean. Then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. See, a parable is an illustration or, uh, or a picture that, that helps the listeners in their own experiences understand uh, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And Jesus knew he was talking to people that tended the land. And so he often used parables about the shepherd and the sheep or the sower and the seed or the farmer and the land or the wine and the wineskins. But nothing was more personable than the relationship of the vine dresser and the vineyard. 
See, for centuries, Israel's prophets had, had used this illustration, had used this imagery to show the relationship with his covenant of Israel. And so he knew exactly who he was talking to. At harvest time, he sent a servant to his tenants to collect from them some fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. He struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some they beat and others they killed. At this point, some people that are listening to him know exactly what he's illustrating. You see, prophets, year after year, centuries after centuries, had come to the leaders, the religious leaders of Israel, and told them to change their ways. To go, told them to go back towards God. And one after another, they ran off, they beat, they killed. And these religious leaders weren't stupid. Jesus knew, they knew Jesus was talking about them. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, they will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, this is his heir. Come, let's kill him. And the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then did the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and, and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read the scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this and is marvelous in our eyes. You see, the, the tenant was very, very patient, just like the Lord was patient. Year after year after year, decade after decade, century after century, warning the religious leaders of Israel to change their ways. And finally, he comes with judgment just like Jesus is going to come with judgment when he comes again. They looked for a way to arrest him because they knew they had spoken the parable against them, but they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. You remember, as we've been going through the book of Mark, over and over again, these religious leaders are trying to trap Jesus. They don't like what he's doing. They don't like the power that he's taking from them, so they're trying to trap him, and so they try once again. Later, they sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians. It's interesting, they're working together because oftentimes they were on the opposite side of the political spectrum, but now they gather together to trap Jesus. They sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to catch Jesus in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you're a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. See what they're doing here? They're buttering up Jesus. They're trying to trap him. So they're trying to give him compliments. They're trying to raise, raise him up. And they ask a revolutionary question. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? This is a revolutionary question that required a revolutionary answer because they were trying to trap Jesus. Just 25 years earlier, Judas the Galilean had come and gathered together a group of Jewish people. He cleared out the temple like Jesus did of getting rid of all of the, the money changers and the people that were, were taking the temple and using it for things they hadn't used for. And he told all the people not to pay this head tax. He said that God is, is the king of this country, nobody else, and we should not pay this tax. And you know what the religious leaders did to Judas the Galilean? You want to take a guess? They killed him. They executed him. And so now here they are with this same situation. Jesus had just cleared out the temple. 
Jesus talking about God's kingdom to come, and the only thing he hadn't done yet that Judas the Galilean had done was to tell the people not to pay their taxes. And so if he was going to say that, they were going to kill Jesus on the spot. But they knew that if Jesus said to pay the taxes, that would be good for them too. Because then all of his people that were following him would see that he was just blowing hot air at them. That the kingdom of God really wasn't to come. That it really was about their kingdom instead. And so it required a revolutionary answer. Don't you love Jesus? He always has the right answer. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and asked him, whose portrait is this and whose inscription? I actually have a a picture of denarius and Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at them. See, if you, if you look at the, the original Greek of what is being said here, it's talking about the image of Caesar. What Jesus is actually saying there is that whatever has the image of Caesar, give that to Caesar. And whatever has the image of God, give to God. Who has the image of God? Who's the image of God? Who? Who? Who is it? You do. You and I are the image of God. So you see what Jesus is saying here? Yeah. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to the government what's the government's. That's nothing compared to what you're to give to me, yourself. See, you're so much more valuable than the little tax. Give to Caesar's what is Caesar's. But give to me what is yours. I I just love that Jesus is, is complex in his answers. He's not just giving a simple answer. I love that Jesus is complex in his politics. I love that Jesus offends liberals and he offends conservatives and he offends moderates. He offends everyone. Isn't that awesome? He's an equal opportunity offender because he's about the gospel first. And I love that. See, he's complex with his political views. He, doesn't, he isn't just straight ticket. I mean, he's concerned, obviously, about the environment. He created everything. He's concerned about uh, racial equality. He's concerned about women's rights. He's concerned about the unborn. He's concerned about so many different issues. He has lots of different complexity. But when it comes to our belief in him, it reminds me of this diner in New York City. I've never eaten here before, but I love the way that this diner is. I think I have a picture of it now. It's, the diner's called Eat Here Now. That sounds like the motto for my life. I just love eating. So eat here now. Let's do it. Let's do it. See, with Jesus, it's very simple and straightforward. See, in, in John chapter 14, verse 6, he says very simply and very plainly. You may not like this. This, this may offend you, but this is what Jesus says. I am the way. That's very important. Not a way. Not one of many ways. The way. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We believe that Jesus plus nothing equals everything and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. We believe that we can fill our lives up with lots of money, lots of toys, lots of fun things, that we can get the great job, we can get straight A's in school, we can get all the right degrees, we can uh, climb the corporate ladder, we can have all kinds of different things. 
But if we don't have Jesus, we don't have anything. See, we believe that it's so important to put our faith and trust in Jesus. That each and every one of us is going to face death. That we're, going, we're not getting out of this thing alive. And we desperately need him to experience peace and joy and eternal life. And that's what I want for you. I don't want us to get so caught up in the political mess that we forget about how great Jesus is. But I also don't want us to be so focused on the gospel that we become so isolated in our little Christian bubble that we don't make a difference in our world. And that's why the action step for this week is to be model citizens of both kingdoms this week. To be model citizens of both kingdoms. And that doesn't mean you do things perfectly because you're not. It means that you understand that you're a citizen of your country and you're also a citizen of God's kingdom. And so as a citizen of the country, we're supposed to know what's going on and we're supposed to get involved. Do you know that the Providence Forum took a survey and they found that only 50% of Christians are registered to vote. And out of those 50%, only 25% actually do vote. See, we can't fall off that cliff and be so, uh, so disengaged in what's going on in our country because we'll never be able to make a difference with the power of the gospel. And so when, when Jesus is looking at that coin, he's saying, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's, and, and, that, and that's us. And so we need to be involved in what's going on in our world. A man said this recently, he says, my belief that as a society, we are preyed upon, P-R-E-Y, whereas we should be preyed upon, P-R-A-Y. That the median society has led us astray to believe that our leadership is where we're supposed to find our hope and our trust and our, and, uh, our hope for the future. But Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. I mean, we should be involved in what's going on because, you know, 75% of the countries of the world have some religious restrictions. And some of those religious restrictions are, un, uh, are unbelievable. They, they restrict even the most basic worship. I've been to a few of those countries. We're so blessed to be in a country where we have religious freedoms, where we can have a sign on the road that says we're a good news church, and you guys can come in here and worship publicly, but we have to stay involved in what's going on in our country. We shouldn't take that for granted because those freedoms can be taken away from us if we're not involved in what's going on. So we should be model citizens of both kingdoms this week. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 this talks about the king who we serve. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, that though he was rich, he, he became poor for our sake so that you through, him, uh, through his poverty might become rich. I, I love that, that he is a great and powerful and awesome king, but he's also humble and he's also close by. You notice in this story, he has to ask for a denarius. He doesn't have one. The king of all kings doesn't have a day wages on him. He has to ask for one because he became poor for our sake so that we be, could become rich. And we shouldn't forget that because Jesus changes us no matter what our political beliefs are, no matter if we're liberal or conservative or moderate or completely disengaged. Jesus changes us with the power of the gospel. So don't fall off the cliff of not being involved at all. But also don't fall off the cliff of posting all these political posts on your social media that people get so mad at you and so angry at you that you can never share the gospel with them because everyone thinks that you're a jerk. 
Don't do that. See, the power of the gospel is so much stronger uh, than, than the power of the government, but we need to be involved in both. And so when it comes to being a citizen of the United States, are, are you involved? Are, are you informed? Do you vote? Do you pay your taxes? Do you give honor to those that are in charge? Do you pray for the people that are in charge? I'm not talking about just the people from your political party. You pray for all of the people that are in charge because they need prayers. They're making important decisions. I'm very thankful for the place that we live here in the United States. I want to continue having the freedoms that we have. And in order to do that, we need to be involved in the process. So be a model citizen of of the one kingdom here in our country, but also be a model citizen of the kingdom of God. Be a part of a local church. I mean, listen, you're never going to find a perfect church. If good news hasn't disappointed you already, guess what? It's coming. We're going to disappoint you. I'm going to say something stupid, or you're not going to like a song that's played, or something's going to happen uh, in the cafe, and there's going to be a snack you don't like. Something's going to happen. But listen, that's, that's every church, because the churches are run by sinners, and guess what? You're a bunch of sinners, too. And when we all gather together, there's going to be issues. There's going to be problems. But we believe that the remedy for the sinful nature of this world is the gospel. And the best way to show the gospel is the local expression of his church. And so are you involved in his, his kingdom? And so I've got a few questions for you to see if you're involved in reaching and transforming people. Let's, let's put up that purpose real quick because I want us to be reminded about why we're here as a church. If you say this with me, it's to reach and transform people by the power of the gospel and biblical community. That's why we're here as a church. And so a few questions for you. Are you engaged in the work of the gospel? Are you, are you doing stuff to reach your neighbors and your friends and your coworkers and your the students in your school? Maybe you should take that LAMP class. If you're not comfortable answering questions that people have, maybe you should mark it down your schedule to start that LAMP class in a couple weeks. Would people know that you're a Christian? The people that are around you, your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends, do they, do they know that you're a believer? Do you give grace and ask for forgiveness quickly? Is that, is that something that you do? Are you trying to model perfection? Or are you trying to model his grace and mercy? Have you taken a step of obedience and, and actually given 10% of your income to the local church and actually tithe? I mean, Jesus says when you do that, he'll pour out blessings. Have you taken that step? See, let's be model citizens of his kingdom, realizing that we're going to mess up along the way, that we're going to fall short along the way, that we need each other to be able to share the gospel. I want to close with this story this morning. There was a mom who went to a, a, a local zoo, and the zoo had been advertising over and over and over about this big cat exhibit that they were going to have. And they were so excited to go see these big cats up close in person because they said this exhibit would be like you would actually be in the exhibit with the big cats. And so this mom went uh, with her five-year-old son and another son that was young enough to be in the stroller. And they went over to the exhibit and they had this bridge that went across where the big cats were. And there was all these uh, big rocks just below that bridge. And they went on the bridge and they were so excited to see all of the big cats that close. 
And uh, at that time, the, the boy that was in the stroller started fidgeting, and the mom had to take care of him, and she turned her back on the five-year-old, and the five-year-old went through a small hole in the mesh that hadn't been fastened properly on the bridge. And now she looks down at her son, a few feet below her, standing on top of the rocks, in with the big cats. Can you imagine what you'd feel like as a mom? See, the hole was big enough for the boy to go through, but not big enough for the mom to go through. And all she could think about doing was putting her arms down. She put her arms down, and she said, Son, Mommy really needs a hug. Mommy really needs a hug right now. Give Mommy a hug. And of course, the son obliged and gave the mom a hug, and she was able to pull him back up. You see, on our own, we're like the little boy in the big cat enclosure. And that big cat enclosure is our sin ready to devour each and every one of our moves. The mom is like Jesus, reaching down to us, saying, can I have a hug? Can I have a hug? I know a lot of you guys here don't like hugs, so just picture it as a big bro hug from Jesus, okay? I want a hug. I need a hug. He's reaching down to save us, to give us a hug, to give us an embrace, to tell us it's going to be okay. And so when we look around in our world today, and we have the choice of political power, of gospel power. I hope we cho- choose gospel power. hope we realize that that embrace of Jesus is stronger than anything else in this world. But we won't ignore what's going on in our country. That we'll be involved. We'll give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but to God what is God's. Let's be model citizens of both kingdoms this week. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. And Lord, I know I fall short being model citizens in both kingdoms. So Lord, help me to be a model citizen here in my country and also in your kingdom. Lord, I pray as uh, we leave here this morning that you would help us to do that. Help us to be able to share the gospel with people in desperate need. Help us to be able to give hope and joy where there is none. Help us to give love to the unlovely. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.